Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks podcast. My name is Roger Nairn and I'm the director of marketing for Man Talks. And I'm Connor Beaton, the founder. Today we're bringing you Tim J.P. Collins from the Anxiety Podcast. Tim is all about anxiety and he believes that anxiety equals more life. Yeah, so uh, I actually met Tim a while ago and he spoke at one of our events. Great British guy, great accent, <laughs> he's fantastic. But just to be honest, a wealth of knowledge in and around, you know, moving through stress, moving through anxiety, how to overcome those things. And he also has a podcast, which is really huge on iTunes right now. Really lucky to have him on the podcast. Yeah, as a coach and podcast host, his community is really shining a light on anxiety and is doing really incredible and inspiring things. So let's get right into it with Tim J.P. Collins. All right, Tim, welcome uh, to the Man Talks podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Excellent. So to get started, we like to build a little context for our listeners. I'm wondering if you can uh, give us an idea of what it is that you do and um, sort of how you got into that. Yeah, that is a, a long story, but I will begin and you can cut me off when appropriate. So I'm, I'm an anxiety coach today. If you'd asked me when I was leaving high school, if that was what I was aspiring to be, I would have given you a very strange look. But, you know, that's such as life, such as the journey, right? So I was, I, I, just to kind of give you a bit of background, I started off my life in IT sales and I was in IT sales for about 15 years and following a very traditional route, which I was kind of given by... I guess my parents and society and, you know, following through to do the, do the classic, you know, path of make more money, get pay rises, be successful, then buy a big house. And one day you'll aspire to have a sports car. And that's what I was going for. And that was going fairly well. Or so I thought until I myself developed anxiety in that environment, anxiety, which we can go on to talk about comes from lots of things. Uh, in terms of the root cause for different people. But for me, it was a combination of continual pressure from sales targets, continually drinking alcohol whilst entertaining clients. Obviously, I didn't have to do that, but I was you know, obliged to most of the time. Um, and traveling away from home a lot. My, my commute was three hours a day, um, an hour and a half each way. Again, I chose to live where I live, but you know, these, these things all combined. And um, as, you know... When it finally transpired, I kind of created the perfect storm um, for it to surface. And I think when I think about it, when I reflect, I've always been a sensitive person. I've always been kind of uh, an empath in terms of caring what people think and, and you know, taking care of people, essentially. But anyway, one day I, I flew to England, where I'm originally from, if you hadn't guessed yet. Flew from Toronto to London and uh, was supposed to check into my hotel and, and kind of have a quiet night and get ready for the presentation I had to do the following morning. But instead of that, I went out till about two in the morning, I think, and drank as much as I was physically possible. <laughs> um, I went out drinking with some friends and woke up hungover slash still inebriated and uh, proceeded to deaden that with some caffeine. And basically, when I got up to do this presentation, I, I had a panic attack kind of live on stage in front of a group of people. At the time, I didn't really know that's what it was. I thought I was actually dying um, in some way or other and had to run out of the room and, and leave and, and eventually came back and, and, you know, 
kudos to myself. I finished that presentation, even though it took every ounce of strength I had in my being to do it, but got through that. And that was essentially the start of um, my anxious times, as I call them. For the next few years, I was just constantly on a high, you know, high alert for anything, high alert for people recognizing that I was anxious, high alert for somebody would call me into a meeting and I'd be like, oh shit, now people are going to ask me questions and what happens if I don't know the answer? And then I start, I'm going to start sweating. And you just, you know, that's what anxiety is, right? You're worried about the future and you constantly go to worst case scenarios. So that was, that was kind of, kind of, I was stuck at that point in my life. And that was really the first time I'd ever stopped and taken stock of where I was at. And I then looked at my situation and said, right, so I've, I'm now making 250 grand a year and I need that much money to maintain the lifestyle I've created. And my expenses are like 10 to 15 grand a month after tax. So I kind of handcuffed myself into that lifestyle and I didn't want to do it anymore. So I had to start undoing it basically and ended up leaving that job over a, you know, over a period of six to eight months, I kind of weaseled my way out of there and, um, and left on good terms. But you know, decided I needed to really do something else for my health and to take care of myself. Ended up doing some real estate investing as an interim kind of thing, just because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I hope I'm not going into too much detail, by the way. You guys are just letting me go with this. Yeah, no, that's Keep okay. Going. That's okay. We're, we're, letting, we're letting it roll because, uh, yeah, it's a good story. I'm getting to the point. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I, so I invested in real estate for a bit and, and just started making drastic changes across my life. So I started investing in my physical body, started going to the gym, lost about 30 pounds in weight, gained some muscle and just made that part of a, a, just part of my life. Like it wasn't even a, before that was like, if I had time and I wasn't too tired, I might do some exercise. Well, that's bullshit because at the end of the day, you just want to sit down and watch TV. You don't want to get up and go out again after you've been driving home for 90 minutes. Um, so that didn't happen. So it was taking care of myself checking out who my friends were and who I wanted to spend time with. I actually came to the West coast of Canada during that time for a real estate event. And my wife and I said, why are we living in the frozen tundra when we could live by the ocean and mountains? So we literally went home, packed our house up, rented out and moved within a few months. So lots of changes, which, you know, it's not to say that everybody with anxiety has to massively shift their life. But for me, there was so many things that I was neglecting for so long that they needed to be taken care of. Um, and how I got to end up being an anxiety coach is I, I was doing some um, working with a mentor myself, Philip McKernan. You, you obviously know him well. He spoke at the recent Man Talks event. And he was telling a story at a retreat I was at, basically about he was doing a speech in Vancouver. And after his speech, a guy came up to him and said, I want to do what you do. I want to be a public speaker. And Philip said, well, what would you talk about? What would you want to talk about? And the guy said, well, you know, I used to be a successful business guy and then I became an alcoholic and now I'm building up my business again so I can have the riches to rags to riches story and I got the kind of full package and then, and then I'll be able to speak to people. And Philip's message to him was that you can actually speak to people today. You already have your story. There's already people out there suffering with alcoholism or you know, addiction or whatever it is that needs support. They don't need you to be perfect to give them support. And I was sat in a room in Bowen Island in front of an open fireplace surrounded by 
kind of a, a, a trusted group of people when I heard that story. And um, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I felt this, I got goosebumps now talking about it, but I felt this energy flow through me where I was like, you know, it's not, I don't need to be a generic life coach. Like I need to help people with, with, uh, with the struggle that I went through myself. And it's, it's obviously fairly classic to uh, have suffered with something and then help people. But for me, that was just, I, I'm not a big note taker and I poured out about four pages of notes within about five minutes of ideas of things I would do and who, what I would say and who I would speak to. So ever since that moment, my mission has been to support people struggling with anxiety and to help them change their lives. And, and my kind of mantra in that space in terms of what I do is I, I believe in not just helping people cope with anxiety because that's what a lot of the support is. It's like, you know, take some pills and kind of put a Band-Aid on it or do some meditation and forget about it. You know, those things are, are fine and, and sometimes are necessary and part of the process. But my question for people is, what would you do if you weren't anxious anymore, what are you going to do when you're not anxious anymore in the future? So it's tying in their recovery into their purpose, into the meaning for them, because the meaning for them and the purpose is also part of the solution. Great. No, that's absolutely incredible. And thank you so much for walking us through that, that, uh, that story and, and getting us to the point of, of today. You know, let's start at the very, very beginning and let's start at the very sort of uh, foundation. What is the definition of anxiety? Yeah, so I think it's continuing to have an unnecessary or yeah, an unnecessary amount of fear about potential future events. And and where does and where does that typically come from? Well, I think it comes from a few different places. You've got, you know, people who you could say are born with it in terms of being sensitive. Some people believe that it it, it can be passed down if the, you know, a pregnant mother is suffers with anxiety, it can be passed down through generations that way. Um, certainly my mom, which I only found out when I came out um, with my anxiety, was anxious at times in her life. And, you know, that that was for sure something which I, I think picked up on. The other is is situational anxiety. So I think that's really what I had when I was older, which is continued buildup of stress, which is ignored over time in your life. So that might be, you know, being in a abusive relationship, being in a very difficult working conditions, being in very difficult living conditions. And over time, you know, some people that may manifest in depression, somebody else might be, you know, might gain a lot of weight. But for people who are predisposed to anxiety, it ends up with anxiety. And and the last one is probably um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Obviously, people who go to war or people who are involved in very, you know, scary situations, car accidents, fires and those sorts of things often find it difficult to come away from being very sensitized, i.e., you know, adrenaline, norepinephrine circling through your body in the fight or flight state. And they find it difficult to, to back off of that. And then that kind of the the, the kind of classic terminology is, is that people become you know, afraid of the fear, the fear of the fear. So the, the initial spike of adrenaline in your body, um, then creates a, a bit of a domino effect that you just keep perpetuating. And is the, is the, well, how would you, how is it classified? It's not a disease, is it? Is it uh, sort of a disorder or? Yeah, people, it was, it's called, you know, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, there's, there's, there's a variety, right. um, 
of you know agoraphobia where, where you can't leave your house and then there's lots of different phobias there's anorexia there's there's just lots of things which fall into the kind of anxiety bucket and is it something that most people deal with for the rest of their lives and it's just a matter of learning how to you know manage it or is it something that you believe can be you know sort of 100% cured so the, the the truth lies somewhere in between those two things. I don't well, I don't think that people have to live with it forever. I believe that everybody has the ability to overcome anxiety. I don't like using words such as cure or hundred percent guarantee because there are people out there in the world who prey on the weak and um sell cures for anxiety and they're just not cures. They are, you know, they're just it's just uh not true. Um, and, you know, medication affects people differently. The side effects, cognitive behavioral therapy works for some people and doesn't work for others. So for me, it's really just more of like, as a coach, it's more of a, an approach of looking at a variety of things which can help people to, to bring them through it. But classically, I find that every anxiety sufferer has two things which are, are very common. The first one is, is that their self-esteem is super low. So they're extremely hard on themselves in, in all aspects of their life. Um, they don't feel like they you know, deserve happiness. They don't feel like they deserve great relationships. And it's just you know, because the anxiety is kind of beating you down, you get used to being in a, in a survival mode. And then the second thing which I see all the time is that people are resistant to anxiety. They're fighting it. So when anxiety shows up, they tense up, they, they clench, they want to push it away, they want to distract themselves, they you know, put some music on or go for a run. or all of, the, all of these things are basically avoidance. So part of my methodology, which has worked for me and continues to, is embracing anxiety and actually saying, let's switch this around. And instead of trying to distract ourselves from something which is actually going on, um, because, you know, as we know, when you think about something and then try and stop thinking about it, it often persists, right? It often gets even worse. Um, we all had probably the teacher at school who said, try not to think about pink elephants. And then you think about pink elephants and you're like, oh yeah, that's how that works. So literally, literally getting down to the, the stage of saying that if anxiety is part of you, then bring it in closer, give it a hug, love it. It's, it's part of you. And to, to fully love and appreciate yourself, that has to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to know sort of, you know, when it comes to anxiety in men uh, specifically, where do you see it coming up the most? And, and, or do you see it coming up the most in a certain, um, you know, manifestation or area in their lives? Yeah, I mean, men particularly, I think uh, there's still a huge stigma associated with anxiety, especially in professional slash entrepreneurial ranks like I was in. I just don't think it's something that's talked about. So for a lot of people, that's, they would self-medicate with alcohol or drugs potentially and, uh, and try and keep it locked down, um, which again is, you know, as I always talk about my keeping anxiety a, a secret was, was what was fueling it for me for a long time, um, continuing to try and always hide it. Um, so I think a lot of people would even though stress and anxiety are kind of two different things, really, stress could lead to anxiety in some cases. But I think the the kind of fashionable, politically correct term for a lot of people would be to say, "I'm really stressed," yeah. where in reality they may have they may have progressed onto anxiety at that point. Yeah, I think that you know it's it's such an interesting and, and relevant topic because 
you know, there's there's a lot of I think everybody's everybody can resonate with this topic because everybody's felt to some degree um, a certain amount of anxiety, whether it's going into a business meeting or, you know, a, a life change is coming up, having kids, like getting married, you know, going on a first date, like that kind of stuff. Like everybody's felt what anxiety feels like so they can, you know, normally resonate with, okay, what it must feel like to have that amount amplified on a regular basis. And then to the, to the point where, you know, it can be not holding you back, but detrimental on some level and and very challenging. So I think that this is such a relevant topic for everybody. And and it's what, what are some of the distinctions you kind of touched on it just there, but what are some of the, like the key distinctions where somebody should say, okay, I've kind of passed the threshold of just being stressed out. And now I need, like, I can clearly identify that I'm, I'm probably experiencing a good amount of anxiety. Cause I think for some of our listeners out there, maybe they're feeling like they're on the cusp of that and they're like, okay, I, I know I'm definitely stressed out and mm-hmm. like work is stressing me out and my family and whatever. But where are the sort of distinctions between the line of just being overly stressed and then experiencing high amounts of anxiety to the point where you need to be able to recognize that? Yeah, I think that, I mean, one of the, one of the basic definitions is that stress is typically an external thing. Um, so stress is, you know, pressure from your wife to be home on time and, and don't forget dinner or stress is um, being in sales and having a monthly quota that you have to hit and you wake up every morning thinking, oh no, I've got to phone this guy and I've got to do some deals and, you know, make things happen. Or stress could be, you know, financial stress that like you don't have enough money to meet the bills that you have to pay. There's a, there's a, or it could be, you know, if you're, for younger people, it could be parental stress that, they want them to go to university and they're not sure if that's the right path for them. So stress tends to be those types of things. And, and typically if interpreted correctly, stress can, you know, is designed to, to get you through a, a time and complete the task. So it's increased, you know, uh, focus, increased blood flow, increased heart rate. And that gives you that boost to say, right, I got to get on with this and, and get this task done. I think anxiety is when anxiety would be when you've, when you finish that task and you continue to still have the same feelings. So the external pressure's finished, but you're still feeling, you know, that high state of alertness maintain is maintained all the time. Even when it's not relevant, it pops up. So it's kind of like your, your, your fight or flight switch has become faulty and sometimes just gets stuck on all the time and flickers between on and off. You know, a lot of anxious people, for instance, wake up in the morning feeling anxious for no good reason. Like they, nothing has happened yet in their day apart from they've opened their eyes and immediately their mind connects and goes straight back to the anxious feeling. Few drops of adrenaline come into their system and boom, they're back in the game. They're back in the, the circle of fear. So I think the, that's the main definition of, is stress is temporary stress is 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 based on is event based or situational based whereas anxiety is just doesn't really care and will show up at inopportune times um, sometimes relevant sometimes not but you know for instance with the public speaking stuff most people get a level of anxiety before stepping on stage is is very natural you know we've actually talked about it before connor with your opera singing back in the day when when you were on my podcast but uh and and even the best speakers say that still happens but once they get on stage and they get into their flow typically that dissipates so they've you know they've naturally become engaged in the task and 
having some anxiety, I believe, is is a superpower. Having some anxiety is very relevant and very useful. Um, you don't feel much more alive than in those moments. If you're a professional professional sports person before you step on the field or step on the ice and you've got, you know, your eyes are wide open, your heartbeat, you're just adrenaline, like you feel alive, like that's getting close to the edge. That's, you know, getting up on a wave on a surfboard or something. But to feel like that all the time when you're, you know, sat at home watching TV or something, it's just your body can't, doesn't want to maintain that state of heightened awareness all the time. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like I've, I've definitely experienced both sides of the, of the spectrum. Like when you, I mean, you just touched on the, the opera thing and you know, I, I experienced a ton of anxiety with, with my singing and it, and it wasn't just when I was about to step on stage or when I was on stage, it was like this constant state of anxiety around, am I going to be able to perform properly? Am I, you know, thinking about things that were going to happen days, weeks, and even months in advance, or even, you know, like thinking about things that weren't even a possibility, like, you know, imagining auditioning for a certain person or for a certain company, even though it wasn't happening, I like my, my body would just have this like intense reaction to it. And then that began to like filter through into my practice. So when I would actually just go and practice, I would experience like the same amounts of anxiety as if I was, you know, out on stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people. And it, it began to like trickle through into other areas of my life. And it was, it was so detrimental just to like my physical and mental health because all of a sudden, and you know, you talked about self-deprecation. That was just like this constant loop. And now I, on the other side of the spectrum, when I do public speaking, like I definitely get nervous beforehand, but there isn't the same level of anxiety. Like I, I, I feel a little bit of anxiety right before I step out on stage, but then now when I go, go out on stage, I'm like, I totally settle into it. I get in that flow and it actually feels great. And you, you kind of get that adrenaline rush and there's definitely still anxiety at the, at the very beginning. And, you know, I think Philip has talked about it and you've talked about it and, and most, really great speakers talk about that, that anxiety that comes up beforehand. Um, but then you settle into it and there, and there's a flow there. And at the same time, that anxiety isn't present throughout the rest of my day and it's not present after or beforehand. So it's not something that is like carried forward in every area of my life. Yeah. And I would say that this might come across a bit harsh, but if you're not anxious at all, you probably don't care. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You're not human. You're not human. Yeah. The people, the reason that people get anxious before you go on stage is whether you're speaking to five people or 500 people, you care what they think about you. You want them to like you. If we go back to caveman times, you know, we humans are designed with a negative bias, right? We're designed to look for the bad stuff because we weren't, I mean, this, this, uh, phenomenon of like happiness and, and fulfillment is, is it really a modern day problem? We were designed to survive, right? And, and therefore, if you're walking down the street and you hear a rustling in the bushes, you're like, your, your senses will pick up and you'll be like, oh my God, am I about to get mugged? That's what you'll think versus like, oh, I wonder if that's the Easter bunny or something, you know, I wonder if it's a little kitten <laughs> looking for some dinner in there. Like, that's just the way we're wired. And, and again, picture yourself as a caveman in a tribe. If you walk into a tribe of people and they're all together and you're on your own, then they would, they would be looking at you. You'd be looking at them for, for some kind of facial recognition to know whether they were about to attack you, attack you, welcome you in, about to kill you and eat you. Like that's just some of the traits that we've picked up. And those parts of us haven't 
evolved massively and therefore we still continue to need constant validation that we are loved and we we are welcomed and we are part of a community and that's why when you get on stage and you tell your first joke or get your first smile that's when you know you can relax a bit because you've you know, you, you know, you're not going to get killed at that point. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I love that. You know, uh, Tim, I, I know there's got to be uh, some men out there that perhaps have dealt with this in the past or, or are currently dealing with this right now. But, you know, what do you have to say around uh, performance anxiety when we're talking about, you know, uh, being in the bedroom, sexuality, all that sort of stuff? You know, I know a lot of men expect to have to, you know, rock it in bed and perform. And, and do you have any sort of insight on how to deal with that? Yeah, I think this is something which 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 often comes up. I mean, it's 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 not it's a natural part of part of the pun. Yeah, <laughs> well, naturally, hopefully, it does come up. <laughs> um, but, but I think what happens from a, a sexual performance point of view is that people get very regimented in how things should work, and. So people, you know, just typically think growing up that there's a natural flow in terms of how sex should go down. And then this is when you get hard and this is when you have intercourse versus, you know, oral sex. And, and so the first thing is, is that, you know, uh, would be to, to not necessarily have to just follow that traditional route. There's, there's other ways to, to, to get into it. It doesn't always have to finish that way or start that way or, or anything else. So creativity is a good way to take some pressure off of having to be ready to go at exactly the right time. And the other thing I would say, and this is something I picked up actually in a conversation with Jordan Gray, who you guys know, because it's something that's come up in his work. But uh, he basically says that you should just at some point, if it is becoming a persistent issue for you, is that you should call out the elephant in the room and not continually try to hide it. I mean, there's, there's guys I've spoken to who will drink before sex because that numbs their inhibition and then they can perform. Obviously, if you drink too much, it could go the other way. Um, so you, you, that, that isn't a, a strategy to use or, or recommended. But, you know, call out the elephant in the room and say, look, I'm struggling with this a little bit. Let's, let's try something else. And, and I think if you're, in a, a, if you're in a relationship, of course, um, then you're probably going to find the, the other person to be a lot more receptive um, to to help you out and support you and and make you feel comfortable. Excellent, excellent. No, that's great. We, you know, that's I'm sure incredibly valuable information for for some of the guys out there. Um, let, you know, let's switch a little bit to uh, you know to to your coaching practice. Um, you know, what does that look like these days? And if 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 I were uh, a you know I don't know think you call them patients of yours, but if I was was seeing you as a coach, what what what's that ex- what's that experience look like? Yeah, I think that um, a lot of the traditional... So the reason I became a coach is that the traditional route didn't work for me. It works for some people and that's fine, but it didn't work for me. Medication is useful for some people to get them over the hump, to desensitize them, if you will, to use that terminology. I personally don't think it's a long-term solution because you're you're covering up an, an underlying condition, which can and should be addressed. I then went on myself and had... Um, you know, psychotherapy. And again, a couple of things in there were useful in terms of breathing techniques and stuff that they mentioned, but I didn't feel like I had a real connection. And that's what my work about work is about. And that's the feedback I get from, from coaching clients I work with is that I know how they feel. I've walked in their shoes. I've been there. And that makes a massive difference when you're dealing with somebody who is in a very vulnerable state or vulnerable position in their lives. And they just want real honest help. 
that's not to say I don't challenge people because I absolutely do challenge people a lot more than a therapist would because I can. And so sometimes it's talking about what happened in the past, but just as much of as that is talking about what's going to happen in the future. So I'm not just talking about where the anxiety came from, but I'm also talking about how we fix it. So I have a, a methodology called lean in and lean in is, is my approach is kind of like my foundation for, for my coaching. And I'll, I'll very quickly tell you what lean in means. Obviously in, in overall, it means lean towards your anxiety, don't run away from it. And that's where part of the solution lies. But lean in stands for look as in look, look at your anxiety, don't look away from it. Embrace action, action meaning in, in start your diaphragmatic breathing, engage that. N stands for non-resistance. So don't fight a good analogy i use with people is if you're if you're in the ocean and you're floating and you you can just lay there and and be weightless but if you start kicking around and moving you're gonna sink it's it's just gonna take that effect away so that's non-resistance the i stands for invest in yourself so start working on meditation start working on exercise let's talk about diet let's talk about lifestyle talk about your friends relationships where you live all those things doesn't mean we have to attack all of them but somewhere in there is is things of huge relevancy and the n stands for never settle which means that you know, overall, an, an overarching theme which comes up has come up a lot in my life, and and I see it again and again with coaching clients is that I believe fundamentally that the more out of alignment you are with your real self, the more out of alignment you are with your truth, the the higher likelihood that you're going to have anxiety. So the closer you can get to being the real you, engaged in work you want to do, surrounded by people that love and support you, live in somewhere that inspires you and and revitalizes you of course you're much less likely to be anxious right so all those things combined with you know me you know between calls with my clients I, i give them things to go away and do in terms of homework or challenges things to you know put themselves out there a bit more and start to to lean into their anxiety so you know there's in the anxiety world there's there's words like exposure and disclosure, which are, are very kind of harsh sounding words. But part of the process, part of the recuperation is that you need to get comfortable with, you know, sometimes being vulnerable and telling people what, what's going on for you and doing things which make you feel uncomfortable and, and get used to hanging out in uncomfortable spaces occasionally when, you know, and and classically when the anxiety shows up, instead of trying to busy yourself and do something else, just sit there and feel it, just sit there and embrace it and and really feel those feelings and, 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 you know, see what the message is or or if there is a message at all. I I constantly remind people of the the two C's I call them, but when anxiety shows up and, and people listening to this, whether you you know, have anxiety or not, or whether you just get nervous sometimes, this is this is a, just a very simple little thing that you can do in your own life. But the two C's stand for curiosity and compassion. So when you feel anxious, instead of reacting with anger or with, you know, you, distance or whatever you want to do, the first one is to act with from a place of curiosity. So this is, this is interesting. I wonder what the message is. Am I actually in harm's way at the moment? Or is this a, a kind of false alarm? Just be really curious and listen to your body and, and feel what's going on inside. And the second C is compassion. You know, it's not your fault that this has showed up at an inopportune time. You didn't create this. You didn't ask for it. So just being, you know, gentle with yourself in addition to curiosity 
it works wonders. Those two things combined, you, you know, it tends to lift very quickly if you do that and really and really sit with it. Yeah, I think if you say it to yourself with your beautiful british accent it probably definitely helps <laughs> so i feel i feel like everybody others just like they should just hear your voice when they say it to themselves <laughs> on a less serious exactly. note i'll re- record it on an mp3 if you want and yeah it'll be amazing well, no. just listen to your podcast <laughs> yeah just listen to your podcast but yeah, exactly. no i think that those are those are really sound piece of advice you know you talked about you know being being vulnerable and leading in and I think that's so relevant, you know, if, if there's people that are listening that maybe don't experience the high levels of anxiety, I think that those, you know, those pieces of advice are so relevant for, you know, f- finding the type of relationship that you want or, you know, tapping into a, a deeper sense of purpose within your life and, and being curious and being compassionate are, are two huge things because what ends up happening is, you know, from somebody that kind of like struggled with, with levels of anxiety is, when you when you start down that path that there's a huge tendency to not be compassionate and i think as guys that's definitely one of the pitfalls that we fall into whether it's whether it's people experiencing depression or whether it's people experiencing anxiety or if they just have like a general sense of feeling lost it's always 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 amplified by a lack of empathy and compassion because we feel like we don't need to be empathetic with ourselves and we don't need to be compassionate for ourselves and it's yeah just just tough it out right like the you know man up and just just like suck it up yeah 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 and and there's 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 a huge there's a huge difference between um you know just like getting over something and leaning into something and, you know, understanding why you feel afraid of something is completely different from just ignoring that sense of fear or, or just ignoring that sense of anxiety. Cause like, that's just, just not going to go away. But, you know, we're, we've almost been conditioned on some level. Um, this sort of like North American masculinity, like teaches young boys to just like ignore that side of it. Right. And so that's how a lot of these anxieties and massive amounts of stress end up manifesting is that, you know, our idea of quote unquote manning up is to just ignore something and that just mm-hmm. doesn't work. And so I love this idea of, you know, be curious, ask the questions, don't, don't ignore it, actually explore it. And I didn't mean to rhyme there, but, um, but you oh, know, good. actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Connor Seuss. Um, but like actually explore what's coming up for you and, and, and remove the shame from it. You know, I think that that's where a lot of people end up getting stuck is that, you know, they they acknowledge, okay, I'm experiencing anxiety or I'm, I'm experiencing high levels of stress. And, and then their first reaction is I shouldn't feel that. And I'm going to shame myself and guilt myself for it. And that, that just reinforces what's actually there for them and, and actually makes it stronger. So I, I think that those, those two pieces of, of curiosity and compassion are, are huge just to kind of land the plane on that. But what is, or what does success look like on the other side, you know, for the people that maybe are listening and, and are experiencing anxiety or high levels of stress, you know, and let's say they, they start implementing this lean in and they start to be curious and compassionate. What does it look like on the other side of that? What is it, what does it feel like? How should they, how's like, what can they expect on the other side? What are some of the benefits? Yeah. So just something to add on to the, the last point or something that I've experienced since I've been, I've gone from, you know, locking it, locking it away in a, 
with a massive padlock and burying it deep within me to to talking about it on a regular basis is that you know if you are out there suffering with anxiety you are you're definitely not alone there's so many people who who have a similar struggle anxiety makes us feel massively insular and like we're the only ones who've ever experienced these feelings but you know talk to me or listen to the podcast or send me an email or something but just you know connect and and you'll soon realize that there's a lot of other people out there who've been through similar things or are going through similar things and you know any and even really i mean if we're gonna if we're gonna kind of get into it but outside of anxious people like everybody in the world struggles with something whether it's money issues depression you know anxiety weight issues self-esteem like everybody struggles so if you if you look around you and, and you look on Facebook and see everybody looking beautiful and, and think that you're the only one who's having problems, then maybe you're the only one who's just being honest with yourself. Right. Um, and and if you're brave enough to come out and say that this is something I'm struggling with, then then, yeah, I think that that is where part of the, the transformation takes place. So in terms of where it gets you to. I uh, through the work I've done on myself and, and I'm doing with other people, I see my life is now full of relationships with people that nurture me and, and, and fill me up and make me feel fantastic. There's no, there's no negative stuff in there because I just don't allow it. You know, some people say, well, they're my friends or they're my family. And so I got to take care of them. We, you, you don't really, you, you know, that's, uh, you know, first rule is to take care of yourself ultimately in, in all this type of work is to make sure that you're taking care of your physical, mental health, your relationships and, and all that kind of stuff um, in order to give you the best platform. But I feel like now after, after kind of coming through the, the outside, I've almost like, um, it's almost like the first time in my life that I've been telling the truth. I don't know if that makes any sense, but um, not that I was necessarily consciously lying the rest of the time, but I was definitely like playing a role in in somebody else's play and now I feel like that it's the real Tim showing up I'm I'm actually helping people which is I think what's always been my desire um from from being a child helping people in the St John's ambulance you know like I've always I've always wanted to do that um I don't I just don't have to wear a mask anymore so the the freedom and the liberation that comes from speaking the truth and and not having to hide that's worth the price of admission alone in terms of putting the work in to recover from anxiety and and get out the other side and it's almost like it's almost like you're kind of um you've got to go through a bit of uncomfortableness to get to the other side you know you're you may be on, on one spot thinking well i'm kind of holding it together and so overcoming anxiety is like, you know, you're going to get uncomfortable for a bit. You're going to have to push yourself. You're going to have to engage in the process. You're going to have to be brave and courageous. But on the other side of that is, is peace, is, you know, connectedness with new people. It's just on the other side of that is the truth. And it's a, con- and it's a constant struggle. It's not a, you know, it's not a A or B situation. Yeah. I mean, one of the other things I'm very open with telling people is, is that if you get over anxiety, that doesn't mean you'll never be anxious again. That's why I hate the cure word or the 100% guarantees is because we're designed to be anxious sometimes. You should be anxious sometimes. And and maybe, you know, once you've you've been anxiety free for a while, maybe it'll show up again just to check that you're still doing the work and you're still embracing it rather than fighting it. Um, so if you lower your expectations a bit, but 
kind of step into the process, then that's w- what allows people to start recovering. And, and then if it pops up, they're like, okay, it's just, you know, again, curiosity and compassion. It's not my fault. And when we move on, I love, I love the whole idea around we're designed to be anxious. And I think once people recognize that and understand it, 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 it can definitely help. And, and I think it's also important what you said, uh, you know, a while back about, you know, you're not alone. This is happening to a lot of different people. And I think evidence of that is, you know, look at your podcast, you, you know, your podcast is, is, uh, has, let's say taken off. I mean, it's, it's been incredibly popular. I see it constantly on the new and notable section of iTunes. And, and that means that there's a following, which means that there are many out there that are suffering with the, with anxiety or struggling with that, with anxiety. And, um, it's amazing that you've created this community. So I'm wondering what has that process been like, you know, having the podcast and having this community of, of people out there. I wonder if you can shed some light on that. Yeah. So the podcast was, I mean, like the podcast for anybody who's interested is the anxiety podcast. Uh, it's super original. I did a lot of brainstorming to come up with that, but seriously, I didn't want to sugarcoat it. I'm, I'm not ashamed that I suffered uh, with anxiety. I don't think it's anything that anybody should be ashamed of. I just think it's, you know, part of the process for some of us. And, and so I wanted it to be very clear. And I think that is, is beneficial for people who are, you know, willing to, to get involved. And for some people they might think, well, I'm, I'm got anxiety. I'm just a bit stressed out and, you know, maybe they'll tune in a bit later on, but yeah, I've, I've always liked talking as maybe you can tell from this interview, but, um, and so when I thought of wanting to kind of start getting the word out there, um, podcasts just seem to be a, a natural fit, even though, as you guys know, it's a lot of work and a lot of time. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's so rewarding though. Yeah. I mean, I get emails on a daily basis from people saying that they they've listened to my podcast and engaged in some of the work and some of the ideas that I've put out there and it's changed their lives and it's making a difference. And I've never even, you know, spoken to them. It's just been through, through the podcast and that touches my heart like i've um sometimes in tears in the morning reading my email because the the impact i get from that is worth more than any commission check i got when i was in sales and i'm curious you know since you've had the the podcast and you've been kind of being more and more open uh, to it have you learned anything about anxiety that you perhaps didn't know previous yeah so having the podcast absolutely helps it gets me exposed to things i i wouldn't have even thought of so you know i recently interviewed one of america's leading sleep doctors this guy's been on oprah he's recently published a new book and so i picked up a load of things from that which then is massively beneficial because then i can i I self-experiment with a lot of these things then i can implement it into my coaching practice and and pass the knowledge on to other people so the podcast helps me, it helps my clients and, and helps people who are just out there listening to it. And maybe they're not ready to engage in one-on-one coaching yet, or maybe they're not ready to, maybe they're not you know financially able to engage in, in one-on-one coaching. But if it's still providing support for people, then that's, you know, it will continue to be very worthwhile for me to do. Very cool. Uh, so kind of just jumping, jumping a little bit ahead. We always like to ask the question, what do you think it means to be a man today? So to you, what do you think it means to be a man today? I think for me, where I'm at in my life, it, it means to be able to be vulnerable and tell people how you really feel. I think that a lot of the, the macho stuff um, of past is, is kind of a bit irrelevant. So yeah, I have my, my deepest connections and best conversations with people where, I, where we're both sharing. You know, it, It's not like you immediately go to sharing intimate details, but where people are sharing and you're sharing and it's not a surface level conversation, it's a deep 
experience that you go on with somebody and that's how some of my best friendships have, have kind of blossomed into you know lifelong friendships with people um i also believe being a man is is still you know taking care of yourself um both your your physical and mental health um so you know exercise working out being able to you know play with your kids or walk up a mountain or whatever whatever it is that you want to do like that you know that stuff makes you feel good and and you know makes you feel capable of of being a man um when if and when you need to but then also you know not you know not burning the candle at both ends not working 60 hour weeks and going out drinking every night that isn't the definition of being manly for me anymore not to say that i don't enjoy a drink once in a while but you know it's not it doesn't have to be the the de facto it can just be part of the process that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that's, you know, we talked a lot and, and kind of like dive in the subject in, in many, many different ways, whether it's, you know, looking at success or fatherhood or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there is that there there is this certain level of authenticity that really needs to show up within within a guy to be able to say like, hey, I'm struggling right now or, you know, and and. I, that's why leaning in is, is so great and being able to like lean into it, whether it's something that you're afraid of or um, something that's unspoken that you actually just need to to discuss with, you know, your partner or your best friend or your parents or whatever the case may be is. And, and knowing that maybe you're afraid to have that conversation and then just going and having it anyway. And, you know, I think one of the biggest differences between sort of like boyhood and manhood is that a, a boy will avoid those conversations because he doesn't have to be responsible for them. Whereas a man will go and have those conversations anyways. And regardless, you know, regardless of the, the sort of like fear that he may have around it and, and realize that he's better off and, and everybody else is better off by having those tough conversations. So uh, I really, I really love that idea. So thanks, thanks for sharing that. And, um, uh, what, what's sort of like, what's your idea of success? Cause you've kind of been through the gamut, right? I think this is where guys like guys like us get to give like a very unique perspective where, you know, I was successful within classical music. I've been successful within the tech industry and, and success has meant very different things and, and now means something very different for me. And so for yourself, having sort of been very, you know, financially successful to where you are right now, I'm not saying that you're not financially su successful, I'm sure that you are, but how has success evolved for you and what does it actually mean to you now? Yeah. So I used to be all about the money, um, because I didn't, I just, I wasn't aware of anything else. I wasn't aware of anything other than creating a lot of wealth. And then, you know, a lot of people still believe in in the traditional mantra of you know you work hard you pay the price and then in the future you'll be able to live the life you know that you want and i just haven't seen that to be the case um people i see working really hard uh, on just making money to then be able to live their life may you know get to having all the money and then realizing that they don't really have any meaningful relationships or anything to do with it and, and then they come work and then they come work with us and we help them find purpose <laughs> yeah yeah exactly money is important obviously and, and and part of the process but it's not the priority and, it, and almost in in the in the work that I do, it can't be the priority because the priority for me is, is about supporting people and about helping people. And so success now really success is about helping people change their lives. That's my definition of success. If I can help one person be less anxious and change their life and feel better when they get up in the morning, I'm successful. Every time I do that, I'm, 
that lights me up inside. The fact that, you know, they, they, they pay me some money to support them and I can actually, you know, make a, a living out of that, then great. But the number one thing is, is changing lives and, uh, not in a egotistical way, but just in the fact that, you know, having the insight and, and knowledge that I've been able to gain that would then be able to help somebody out of a tough situation. I feel like that's a gift. I feel like I'm lucky to have had anxiety and I feel like me making some bold changes to overcome it is, is just been a gift that can support other people. I think in practical terms, the other definition of success is for me being able to spend more time with my family, being able to work from wherever I want, being able to dictate my own hours, being able to dictate my own rates, um, being able to take vacation whenever I want, because all of those, you know, the guy who the CEO who's making 2 million a year, he doesn't have those choices. He can't do that. So there's always a cost associated with huge amounts of income. It yeah, just it's, is. It's almost like, it's almost like working for the life that you want in the future. Right. And I, I've always, I've always kind of thought that that's kind of funny is because like people in sort of like the corporate culture will end up working for the life that they want in 30 years. So they're like, I have this ideal life and I have this life that I, that I really want. It's a vision that I have and I'm going to work really hard for the next 30 years so that I can have that life, not realizing that they could start implementing some of those things and, and be successful in a different way now and actually like live that life starting today. It's kind of, it's kind of the funny thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, the definition of success for a lot of people can shift over the years, but, uh, I, I've definitely found more success in, in having a positive impact, making an impact versus making a paycheck. I think that that's, that's how over the couple, last couple of years, I think my definition has really changed is that instead of working for a paycheck, I want to work for an impact on people. And if I can help when I help people tap into that sense of purpose and what they want to do with their life and help point them in the right direction and ask those tough questions, that's the most rewarding thing because then I can see how their life has changed and, and been impacted and, and is pointed in the right direction versus just like, you know, punching in, putting in some hours, getting back a paycheck. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting how, yeah. And on that point, it's like, um, you know, when I, when I first started doing this, I mean, one of the other things was I said to myself, well, I'm not a doctor. I haven't been to university for five years or whatever to be a psychiatrist or a doctor or a psychologist. And so who am I to give people advice? And then, you know, I, I kind of put that out to some of my trusted mentors and they were like, you know, it, this t it doesn't matter at all. Like your, your experience and your, you, you personally, what you went through is, is more relevant to your potential clients than you, you going to university to talk about the theory on the subject. And, and the reality is since then I've, I consume books, you know, constantly and constantly learn and get more information that's probably a lot more relevant and practical than anything I would have learned at university. So yeah, I think that's, you know, that's an important part of the process. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if you look at the corporate world, like, uh, 70% of CEOs don't have MBAs, right? Like they, they don't have the sort of quote unquote formal training that people think that they should, but they have the experience that's gotten them there. And I think that experience is one of the, one of the biggest tools to get you there. So, um, just to kind of move yeah. forward, cause we, we do need to, we do need to wrap it up mm -hmm. with, with this in mind, you know, what is the legacy that you want to leave in the world? That's a great question. I think my, my legacy is already 
being created. And what I mean by that is, is that if you ask my kids what I do, if I, if you ask my kids what, what I'm getting a bit choked up now talking about it, but they would tell you that I help people mm. and that's kind of enough for me. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's a great answer. What's one thing that you are really excited about coming up in the future for yourself, your family, or the Anxiety Podcast? Um, just, you know, this is still a very new experience for me. So every day I kind of jump out of bed. I'm like, wow, I get to do a podcast and coach people and I can actually make a living at this. Like that's very, a very exciting place to be. So yeah, next year in, in the new year, I've got a, a new course that I'm starting. The core of my work at the moment continues to be working with people one-on-one because I just love getting into deep, meaningful conversations with people and, and, and helping them start to make changes. I also have aspirations to do a retreat in, in 2016. So there's, you know, there's loads of things that I'm very excited about, but I'm just very excited to be doing what I'm doing. I'm, you know, that's number one. Awesome. And, w- and what's the best way the listeners can, can get a hold of you or learn more about you? Yeah. So if you're on iTunes or Stitcher or any of those podcasting places, you can just search the anxiety podcast. You can go to anxietypodcast.com. And, uh, yeah, on social media, I am Tim J P Collins. That's J for James P for Peter, Tim J P Collins. So you can add me as a friend on Facebook, send me a tweet, whatever people do on those things. I'm pretty active in sharing things that I'm up to personally and, stuff that I'm creating for the anxiety coaching side, please send me an email or contact me through the website or or any other means. If you need some help and want to have a chat, I'm constantly getting emails and kind of supporting people. And these aren't coaching clients. These are just people who want to ask a question or interact. And that's totally cool. If you then want to have a call to talk about what it looks like to work with me, we can, we can do that as well. But uh, yeah, feel free to reach out. Excellent. Tim, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for uh, being on the Man Talks podcast and to our community out there. You know, if you are suffering with what you think is anxiety, uh, you know, we really, really encourage you to get in touch with Tim or, or listen to the podcast, be part of his community, because I think you'll see that this is something that a lot of people are, are working through right now. And it's good to know that there is strength in numbers and, and lots of other people out there. Um, thank you again for joining us. We really, really appreciate it, Tim. Yeah, you're welcome. And one last thing I, I guess I probably should mention is that if you do go to the website and anxietypodcast.com, there is a, an ebook I've got on there for free. You can download that and that goes into the lean in methodology that I spoke about in a lot more detail. So feel free to, to grab a copy of that and, and check it out for yourself. Awesome. So much value. And thank you. That's incredible. Everyone, yeah, I try. Thank you so much for listening to us again today on the Man Talks podcast. You can go to mantalks.com for more podcasts, blog posts, and any videos of our events, which are going to be going live soon. Really, one of the things you should be doing is subscribing to the podcast on iTunes. Makes it super easy. Downloads uh, every time we post live every week. Uh, makes it super easy. And, and once again, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It goes a long, long way. As Tim knows, it goes a long, long way in, in getting the podcast in to as many hands as possible. Uh, it climbs us up the iTunes charts. Um, thank you again for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man. <laughs>